You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. Congress is asleep, but Judicial Watch is working on its anti-corruption watchdog work. We're in the courts getting documents exposing what's going on here in the swamp. We have court orders to talk about related to Comey records. We have new documents and new lawsuits about uh, Bruce Orr and Fusion GPS. Uh, I have an update on our IRS case. Uh, All sorts of things to talk about in terms of uh, the deep state corruption uh, infecting uh, Washington, D.C. these days. Uh, So let's get right into it. Uh, First up is we had an extraordinary court order this week uh, related to James Comey. Now, who's James Comey? He is, those of you who don't know, he used to be the FBI director until he was fired uh, by uh, President Trump, rightly so, last year. Uh, I guess it was in March uh, that he was fired. So uh, Judicial Watch, um, now Comey has proved himself to be an uh, anti-Trumper. He hates President Trump. Uh, After he was fired, he took the FBI files uh, related to President Trump, leaked them through a friend to the New York Times with the hopes of getting a special counsel appointed. This is what he testified to, and indeed Robert Mueller was was appointed, his predecessor as FBI director, one of his mentors, uh, shows you how the Mueller investigation was corruptly formed. So obviously we're very interested in what Comey's been up to. He orchestrated the suppression and the, uh, of the Clinton email investigation while also uh, pushing the anti-Trump Russia investigation at the same time. Uh, so we've asked for a variety of records about Mr. Comey since he's left. Uh, most recently we sued with the Daily Caller News Foundation for uh, documents he has about meetings he had with other politicians. Was he only writing memos about meetings he supposedly had with President Trump, or did he write memos about meetings he had with uh, Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden or Barack Obama and people like that? So uh, we asked for those records, and so the case is moving along. And then this IG report gets released by uh, the Justice Department Inspector General, where James Comey admits uh, that Uh, it's disclosed that James Comey was conducting government business on his personal email accounts, right? So Hillary Clinton must have been thrilled about that. So the uh, Judicial Watch, we asked the Justice Department, what's going on here? Are you searching those emails? Uh, Because if there are government records over there, you need to be searching them. In, In the least, you need to be preserving them. So they sent a letter to Comey asking that he preserve the records. Or so they tell us, because they wouldn't share the email with us. So what Judicial Watch does is that we don't take uh, the government's word for it. We push and push and push, and we went into federal court and we asked for uh, a preservation order from the federal court judge overseeing this case. In this case, it was Judge Kohler, uh, Colleen kohler Catelli. And uh, the government, this Justice Department, this FBI, opposed the idea of a preservation order, a federal court preservation order. Well, thankfully, Judge Collar Catelli rejected those arguments and issued a preservation order requiring uh, that um, uh, the Comey personal emails be preserved. And the order reads, in part, The court will allow the DOJ until September 28, 2018, 
to complete its review and release of any responsive non-exempt records to plaintiffs, meaning us and the Daily Caller News Foundation. That being said, the DOJ is also ordered to make rolling productions between today and September 28th. So uh, that's good in the sense that we're going to get some of these records finally. In order to avoid any possible issues later in this litigation, the court will grant Judicial Watch's motion. The DOJ is ordered to take all necessary and reasonable steps to ensure that any records that are potentially responsive to either of the plaintiff's FOIA requests uh, are preserved. Although it contends that such an order is unnecessary, the DOJ has not explained why this preservation order would prejudice defendant or cause any undue burden. Now, the court in its order also said, look, it doesn't mean I believe uh, that there are necessary government records on these accounts or that they're being destroyed, but let's just be safe. And uh, you need to take all reasonable and necessary steps. Well, so we asked the government, so this is great. We got this order uh, from the federal court over the objections, again, of the FBI and Justice Department. Uh, Now, I want you to imagine if uh, you were the subject of a court order to preserve your records. What would the FBI do to make sure that order was enforced? I think they might take up your records, seize them, maybe send you a letter with the uh, judicial order telling you that you're subject to it. So we asked the FBI Justice Department what they're going to do to enforce this court's order that they take all reasonable and necessary steps to ensure that any records are located on his personal email accounts are preserved. And they told us they're not going to do anything. Because their position is the letter they sent was good enough and they're not going to do anything else. This is the contempt the FBI and the Justice Department have for the rule of law and transparency. And the rules that apply to you and I don't apply to James Comey, the former FBI director. So they're not going to, I'm not saying that they need to raid his home, but certainly if he were a private citizen in the ordinary course, they might raid his uh, computers or seize his computers. They're not going to do any of that to comply with this court's order. I don't know what we're going to do, if anything, um, because the court did suggest that maybe the letter was good enough, but it doesn't seem to me she would have issued... Uh, a court ruling uh, ordering the FBI and DOJ to take all necessary and reasonable steps if you thought the initial step was good enough. But this is, this is the way this Justice Department and the FBI operate. They are contemptuous of transparency, they're arrogant, and they don't think the rule and the laws apply to them. And there's another case that we have I think you'll be interested in. Uh, we have a case on behalf of FBI, a retired FBI supervisory agent, uh, Mr. Danik. And he asked for text messages of Andrew McCabe. And Andrew McCabe was the number two at the FBI who was fired after it came out in this IG report I'm telling you about, or at least another IG report, that he uh, had misled investigators or lied to investigators about his involvement in leaks. And Andrew McCabe has also been subject to judicial watch scrutiny because uh, he uh, was conflicted out of the Clinton email investigation, in our view, or should have been, because his wife received over, I forget the number is, $700,000 or so, but hundreds of thousands of dollars from Clinton crony ally uh, Terry McAuliffe, the former governor of Virginia, who, who is as corrupt as uh, the rest of the Clinton uh, gang. So 
we wanted, and Andrew McCarthy, Andrew McCabe, of course, is number two at the FBI, so he was part of this Comey group that was running these corrupted investigations into Hillary Clinton and, and Donald Trump. Uh, corrupted in the sense of protecting Hillary Clinton and corrupted in the sense of improperly targeting President Trump and then candidate Trump. So we asked, uh, and we're convinced McCabe was uh, not happy to be doing any serious investigations into Clinton, so our request was for text messages that he said, sent uh, about Clinton and, and things of public interest along the lines that I've just described to you. We've yet to get one text message from the FBI. One text message. And they just told us in a court filing, they don't think they should have to look at any text messages that Andrew McCabe sent on FBI computers or phones. You heard that right. They don't want to turn over one text message because they don't think those text messages are subject to the Freedom of Information Act. Now, I'm convinced they're going to lose any argument they try to make like that in court. So what are they doing? They're stonewalling because they don't want to have to turn over these text messages because I suspect they know what's in them. Because we've seen the text messages of Peter Strzok, which interestingly they've turning over to us and turned over to Congress under FOIA. or not under FOIA, but because they're government records. Are they going to tell us the Strzok text messages aren't government records either and not subject to FOIA? So we face this type of shell game from shell games from the FBI and Justice Department in virtually every case we are pursuing over uh, records about the deep state attacks on President Trump and the deep state protection racket for Hillary Clinton. So, Mr. Attorney General, Deputy Rod Rosenstein, FBI Director Ray, they need to be held accountable for this gamesmanship. We're asking for records under law, and they're telling us to go jump in a lake, and when the courts agree with us, they still say go jump in a lake. Now, it doesn't mean we don't get records, because we do. Uh, but you can see how hard fought they, we have to, uh, how hard fought the battle is in order to get the records. So, um, and we're getting them. And uh, so, so, but I can tell you, uh, the fact that we had to get a court order just to make sure that the former FBI director didn't destroy or uh, the preserved government records that may be in his possession on his personal email accounts after the Hillary Clinton issue, my gosh, shows you how out of control the FBI and DOJ are, doesn't it? So, um, so as Congress, as I was joking earlier today, uh, as Congress rests, Judicial Watch is working. You know, as I say, we keep on doing the heavy lifting that Congress isn't doing, because uh, Congress is done, by the way. They've got, they've got uh, an elections in November. Now, they'll be getting documents, and I'll talk about that um, as we proceed here, but they're going to be doing no more hearings. They're not going to be doing much in the way of oversight. They're just in receive mode, and like I said, they may get records, uh, but nothing substantive is going to be done in terms of oversight over the out-of-control Mueller investigation, oversight of the corruption at the DOJ and FBI that led to uh, this out-of-control Mueller investigation, and certainly uh, the Clinton email uh, cover-up as well. 
I'm hopeful there are hearings between now and November, but I, I'm, I'm doubtful. Uh, I just know based on experience, as we get closer to elections, uh, the Congress shuts down in terms of doing anything mildly controversial. So, um, but Judicial Watch, as I say, keeps on doing the work, and we just sued this week for more records about Bruce Orr. Now, who is Bruce Orr? Well, Bruce Orr is the former uh, top DOJ official. He's still in the Justice Department, linked to Fusion GPS, the Clinton DNC-funded operation that created the infamous dossier targeting um, Donald Trump. So uh, the Fusion GPS hired Christopher Steele, the former spy, or we're told a former spy for the United Kingdom, and Bruce Orr's wife, Nellie Orr. So we have some lawsuits for uh, records about that already, but we filed a major one this week that asked for all records from the Office of Deputy Attorney General relating to Fusion GPS, Nellie Orr, and or British national Christopher Steele, uh, including but not limited to all records of communications about and with Fusion GPS officials, Nellie Orr and Christopher Steele. And there are three other categories of uh, records just like that, more or less. Uh, so we are thorough. And it's pretty clear that Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele and Fusion GPS, uh, along with Peter Strzok, the anti-Trumper FBI agent, are at the center of the storm here on uh, this whole uh, effort to get Donald Trump. Now, you may recall Peter Strzok has, uh, had uh, text messages. Now, he was the number two FBI counterintelligence official. So you've got the, direct, you've got the director, and then I think you've got... Um, uh, the assistant director, essentially, for counterintelligence, and number two was Mr. Uh, uh, um, excuse me, Mr. Strzok. So Strzok is emailing his paramour, uh, Lisa Page, the lawyer for Andrew McCabe, again, <laughs> the disgraced Andrew McCabe. Uh, they hated Trump. They liked Hillary Clinton. Page says, what, but what about Trump? And Strzok says, we're going to stop him from winning. He also said he had an insurance policy in case Trump ran, won. Well, it looks like that insurance policy was Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele. Now, you may recall Judicial Watch just last week uncovered documents showing that the FBI was meeting repeatedly with Christopher Steele, again, this Clinton agent, uh, in 2016 during the election season. From February, at least, through uh, November, it looks like, of 2016. Uh, they met with him 13 times. They created 15 reports based on those meetings, and they paid him some type of money 11 times. He was paid repeatedly by the FBI while Hillary Clinton was also paying him through Fusion GPS. Unbelievable, isn't it? But then he was deemed not suitable to be used as a confidential human source in November of 2016. So you would have thought that meant he was cut off. No, 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 no. That's where Bruce Orr comes in because there are documents coming out and they're being reported on by uh, folks like John Solomon over at the Hill. And, um, you know, I'm sure Sarah Carter, our friend, has reported on this as well. The Congress is finally getting some of these Bruce Orr documents, uh, like the ones we're suing for. 
And they show that Orr was meeting repeatedly with Steele even after he had been cut loose, supposedly, by the FBI. And Orr was using Steele's information or conveying information from this Clinton agent back into the FBI Justice Department. So this is how the corruption works at the Justice Department and the FBI. So Bruce Orr, who's the number four official at the uh, Justice Department, his wife gets hired by Fusion GPS. He's meeting with the Fusion GPS colleague of his, of his wife, Christopher Steele, repeatedly, according to the documents, I think it's anywhere from a dozen to 24 times, after the FBI cut him off. And he's sending the information he gets from Steele at these meetings back into the FBI. So you've got the conflict with, the, uh, Hiller, uh, with uh, Steele, uh, excuse me, you've got the conflict that Orr had with Fusion GPS, and then you've got the FBI taking information from Steele, even though they deemed him not suitable to use as a confidential human source, none of which was told to the FISA courts as they were promoting Steele as their number one source and his dossier as central to getting approval to spy on the Trump team. So that's, that's the Bruce Orr story. So you can see how he, Steele, and Strzok, and you can bet there Strzok was involved in all of this, is central to this. So we're glad that Congress is getting documents. That's why we're suing for documents as well. When we got the documents from the FBI showing the relationship the FBI had with Steele, now there are other documents that the DOJ is sitting on, some of which at least they gave to Congress or maybe leaked to John Solomon, I don't know. But isn't that incredible? Now, Bruce Orr is an interesting guy. Because not only was he number four at the Justice Department, he was demoted once that relationship with Fusion GPS became widely known. I'd like to know who knew what and when about what was going on there. Uh, because the documents also show that Orr and Steele were talking about getting Steele involved in the Mueller investigation. Of course, he already was involved because the FISA warrant that Mueller was using to spy on Carter Page had Steele as a central source. But the question is, were they, was they doing any other work? We don't know the answers to that. This is why Mueller needs to testify. What did he know about what Strzok was up to when he was working for him? Steele, what was his relationship with Bruce Orr? Because Bruce Orr shouldn't have been involved in this at all. He was number four at the Justice Department. He wasn't a sign of Russia investigations. What was he doing involved doing this? Well, his wife worked there. Uh, so Bruce Orr, but he had been taken out of that number four position after, after all this came out. And so um, he's now back, supposedly, where uh, he's been for a long, long time, running the organized crime section of the Justice Department. Now, I've met Bruce Orr uh, working here at Judicial Watch because back... Oh, it's probably 18, 17, 16 years ago, Judicial Watch represented a client who had given money to Hillary Clinton, and uh, the client was being prosecuted or investigated by the Justice Department uh, over some stock issues, and he alleged that the people he was working with were confidential uh, informants for the Justice Department, you know, the mob types, 
and uh, they were doing illegal things, and that should brought, be brought to the attention of the Justice Department. So we were briefing the Justice Department on all of this, and uh, Bruce Orr we met with repeatedly. In fact, he flew down uh, to Brazil to meet with our client. And I was down there with him, uh, with our attorneys at the time. And uh, so I remember Bruce Orr. And, you know, he seemed to me uh, a straight shooter uh, in the sense that uh, he didn't have much of a, uh, an axe to grind in terms of being for or against Hillary Clinton because all this was about Hillary Clinton in the end. Uh, but certainly he had zero interest in being uh, told about misconduct by informants for the FBI or the Justice Department because I know, based on what I understood, nothing was done about it. So that's our experience with Bruce Orr. So it was, I, it was interesting to see him back in the news uh, 15 or 16 years after I remember uh, dealing with him in all places Brazil uh, back when I was a much younger person. So... Um, we are, have three or four lawsuits now on Fusion, uh, Bruce Orr's contacts and communications with Fusion GPS, so we're on top of all of this. Uh, so other, uh, de- other things that happened this week include, uh, and I talked about this last week, the IRS issue. Uh, we had been pushing uh, for the release of deposition transcripts in a civil lawsuit that others had pursued over the IRS abuse scandal uh, that uh, under President Obama. And deposed in that uh, uh, litigation was Lois Lerner, uh, who's infamously known as uh, being associated with that scandal, and Holly Paz, who also should be known for being associated with that scandal, but it's a name you probably don't recognize, but two senior uh, IRS officials. And they're taking the position that the transcripts from that case, which I believe is over, should never be made public. So they were questioned closely about the scandal, and, and you know, we're, they took the fifth in front of Congress, so it'd be interesting to see uh, what they said under oath here. So uh, they object to the, that document being released or those documents being released. So uh, we filed an amicus brief on our behalf to try to get access to this information because Judicial Watch has been in the center, as I described last week, of getting information about this IRS scandal that Congress couldn't get and exposing pretty much much of what we know about the IRS scandal. And I encourage you uh, to read our book, frankly, Clean House. Uh, it was published a, a, a few years ago, but it, it's a good summary of what much of what we have about the IRS scandal. So anyway, we uh, filed the amicus brief. They opposed, Lois Lerner and Howley Paz opposed us filing it. Thankfully, the court granted our ability to file it. And he held a hearing on Thursday. Our own attorney, uh, Judicial Watch attorney Ramona Kotka, flew out to Ohio to attend and argue at the hearing. So we were represented in court uh, yesterday. And my understanding is the court let everyone have their say, asked a few questions, and I guess is going to decide when he decides. So I don't know what the decision is going to be. Uh, But again, it I just I raise it to let you know that Judicial Watch, we're not talking heads. We're in court, pushing for disclosures, taking on government misconduct uh, in ways that Congress can only dream of doing. And certainly the media doesn't is zero interest in doing as well. So I'll let you know what happens there uh, when it happens. But in the meantime, uh, there's still more to be had, information to be had about that IRS scandal, that's for sure. You know, sometimes you wonder, is anyone listening to Judicial Watch, don't you? Right? I know you are. 
Uh, but there's a story that came out. I don't like talking about it because it has me at the center of it. But there's a story that came out this week in Politico, which is kind of a, well, it's a media organization, so it's always, they're pretty much always left-wing, that highlights the fact that President Trump is following Judicial Watch. And uh, it's very flattering to our work and our efforts to educate you, the American people, I'm looking for the story in all of my papers here, about what we're up to. And um, the, doc, the, the headline reads, I know that he listens to Tom, meet Trump's anti-Mueller ally. The conservative group Judicial Watch, led by Tom Fitton, has taken a leading role, a leading role suing for documents relate, related to the Russian probes. And then it goes on to say, Tom Fitton, the head of conservative group Judicial Watch, has made a career of suing the federal government over suspected bureaucratic corruption, irritating every president since Bill Clinton. But in Donald Trump, Fitton has found an enthusiastic booster, a president who, rather than bristling at Judicial Watch's frequent accusations of malfeasance throughout the government he oversees, welcomes the group's effort to hold the deep state accountable People close to the president says he's come to see Fitton as one of the most effective critics of the Mueller probe. One White House official advisor calls him a hero. That's nice to say, isn't it? Uh, and, um, And then the story goes on to say, you know, the question whether or not and if I've met with Trump, which I'm not going to tell you one way or another whether I have, but I can tell you we've always told the White House, and I've told you publicly, uh, uh, that they should err on the side of transparency. They should b- take a radical transparency approach to these Russia gate issues and extreme transparency on uh, all of this uh, so that the American people know fully about the corruption involved. And we've been critical of Mueller from the beginning, uh, not because we wanted the president's attention, but because we thought there was a rule of law problem with the way he's been operating and that the president has been victimized. And as I told the uh, Politico reporter who talked to me about this story, it's funny, you get a call from a, a, a reporter here in Washington, D.C., and they say they want to do a story to you about you. You know, usually you're, uh, uh, that sets off alarm, so I'm always very cautious when that happens. I said, Fitton argues he's not sucking up to Trump. Of course I'm not. Instead, he says... He's standing up for a president who he firmly contends is being being victimized by the national security establishment, the media, Democrats, government bureaucrats, basically everybody. The test for honest Americans is, or honest liberals, and there are honest liberals out there, are they going to defend a president they disagree with when he's being victimized and when he's, uh, and he is being victimized, I say. Today it's Trump and tomorrow it's someone else. I mean, that's the test. There are a lot of people who don't like President Trump. And there's nothing that requires you to like him or everything he does. I don't agree with every policy every politician does, let alone a presidential administration. There's always something I'm going to disagree with. But the question is, is he going to be subject to uh, being victimized by abusive government officials because people don't like him. He's not above the rule of law, but he's also not below the protection of the law. And the article goes on to say that Judicial Watch is, and uh, he tweets our work and things like that, which is great. 
It's a great audience. I'm glad the president is, is uh, highlighting our work, exposing government corruption, because that's what we're doing. And um, so it's a good story in Politico. You know, it's not designed to be a good story, but it is, and because it shows that Judicial Watch is having an impact. We're educating the public, and we're educating the leadership here in Washington, because you can bet the president isn't the only politician following Judicial Watch. Members of Congress of both sides of the aisle are following our work. The left is following our work. In fact, they have developed groups and approaches based entirely on Judicial Watch's work. They see what Judicial Watch has done, and they want to do it themselves. And of course, no one can do it like Judicial Watch. So we're happy to have others trying to hold the government to account and expose government corruption, uh, but no one's doing it better than Judicial Watch, that's for sure. So I'll end on another positive note. So you're, many of you are probably watching this on YouTube now, and uh, YouTube's been in the news recently because they uh, threw, and some other platforms threw Alex Jones of InfoWars off of their site. I don't know why specifically, he's, what he said or did. I don't really follow InfoWars. I don't follow uh, Mr. Jones. I know he's a pretty controversial guy. He's alleged to have engaged in conspiracy theories, and I hear that. It's like, well, you know, the left likes to think anything that conservatives believe to be uh, conspiracy theories. But, you know, Jones probably has things I disagree with. I can't imagine that the leftists who make decisions at Google and YouTube and uh, other places like, like Facebook uh, fairly evaluated him and uh, did not make an arbitrary and capricious and biased decision in, in preventing him from having access to billions of people on Facebook and YouTube. I mean, that's what's really going on here. And uh, if you can show me comparable leftists, uh, however moderate or extreme, who've been thrown off of YouTube and Facebook, I'd be interested to see. And uh, I think, um, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't know enough about Alex Jones whether to even denounce anything he says. Uh, but whether or not you found anything he says or does distasteful is not the standard by which he should be allowed to be on the Internet and have access to these platforms. And I know they're private entities and such, uh, but they, uh, it's a public controversy when you have major corporations suppress conservatives. And I've talked before about uh, how Judicial Watch, or me, was shadow banned by Twitter. I'm not convinced that it hasn't stopped. And they were making it more difficult to follow my account. And as the president is tweeting my tweets, and Twitter at the same time, is making it nearly impossible for you to find my account on its website as a result of uh, tweaks to the algorithms they were having. And it looks like Twitter is doubling down on this aggressive approach to policing speech that's going to punish and suppress conservative thinking. And I'm fearful that's happening at Facebook and YouTube. But wait, I digress because I wanted to talk about something positive. <laughs> so YouTube, uh, we're very prominent on YouTube in terms of a public policy group. You know, there are news organizations on YouTube, and, uh, you know, Alex Jones probably had millions of followers or a million-plus followers. But Judicial Watch is just a little old group that sues for government records and sues government to stop misconduct, expose misconduct, sues politicians when they commit corrupt acts, sues to uphold the rule of law. 
not exactly the most exciting thing you'd expect people to be following on YouTube, but we are doing gangbusters on YouTube. And they gave us, look at this plaque, 100,000 supporters, subscribers on YouTube. And they gave us this silver plaque presented to Judicial Watch for passing 100,000 subscribers. So I guess we'll hang this on our wall, but this is a testament to our power because you can bet there are no other public policy groups like Judicial Watch that has this significant following on YouTube. I mean, there are television shows that would kill for 100,000 viewers on some cable networks right now. I'm not joking. Uh, so this is, a, this is a great testament, and I really appreciate those of you following us on YouTube. It's a, uh, however problematic these platforms are for conservatives, uh, they are, can remain important to our ability to educate Americans about what we're up to. I mean, we don't have to worry about going on ABC, CNN, NBC. We can get the word out on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, our own website, our own emails. And when we have 100,000 viewers, those viewers can share our videos, not only on YouTube, but on Twitter, or on Facebook, and it's all part of this great circle of truth that just expands out from little old Judicial Watch to millions and millions of Americans. I mean, I, I, I see the material we put on YouTube and the comments we get from people who not only love our work, who are Americans, but who are overseas and wish they had Judicial Watches in their own country. So it's an international audience we now have. And uh, it's just the wonders of the internet and this is why we have to be vigilant in protecting our rights on the Internet and recognize that the left and big government wants to control the Internet because they know that our, our, our pro-freedom, anti-government corruption message is not something they want out there. They don't want conservative values out there. And the way to do that is to control the Internet and suppress them. And they do that through pressuring corporations. The left is doing that right now with Facebook, Twitter, and uh, YouTube, which is controlled by Google, and uh, uh, we just have to stand against it. Uh, I mean, right now, for instance, if I could criticize YouTube, looks like they are putting these disclaimer-type messages beneath videos related to climate change. So if you have a video that questions the Al Gore propaganda slash science behind climate change, They've got this little disclaimer that points you to Wikipedia, which is a left-wing site that isn't scientific, that supposedly tells you that climate change is real. It's that sort of intervention in public policy debates by these uh, entities, which is something we need to really push back against. And uh, I, don't know, I don't think government regulation is necessarily the answer, but we've got to be aware that these platforms are um, susceptible to pressure from the left. Uh, many of the people that work in these platforms are leftists and don't like our values anyway. So it's always a battle, which makes this great, this great success all the more valuable, 100,000 subscribers. So now we have to get up to a million subscribers. It took us about, what, a year to get up to? We were at 10,000 about a year ago. And now we're at 100,000. So can we get up to a million? Uh, I think we can. So we can do it with your help. So uh, 
I got this nice, it's only a judicial watch, do you get a nice award from YouTube, and, and then I spend most of my time criticizing. But uh, it's, it's essential to get the word out. Uh, the internet generally and these platforms, I hope, continue to welcome uh, or at least allow conservatives to operate without too much censorship so we can continue to get the word out. So uh, thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next week, I hope, here on our weekly update here on Judicial Watch. Thank you. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.